Good morning, good morning, and welcome to Overeaters Anonymous, a Vision for You Big Book Study. My name is Monica, and I am a recovered compulsive overeater. And today is Friday, June 14th, 2013. And today we are reading from the big book. We are in the chapter, There is a Solution, and we are on page 27, the bottom paragraph that begins, Upon Hearing This. And today's readers are 12 Steps, Marge, 12 Traditions, Lisa, and then Sharon, Kim, Sally, and Marietta. And the share code for yesterday, the 13th of June, is 4632, 4632. OA Preamble. Overeaters Anonymous is a fellowship of individuals who, through shared experience, strength, and hope, are recovering from compulsive overeating. We welcome everyone who wants to stop eating compulsively. There are no dues or fees for members. We are self-supporting through our own contributions, neither soliciting nor accepting outside donations. OA is not affiliated with any public or private organization, political movement, ideology, or religious doctrine. We take no position on outside issues. This meeting's primary purpose is to abstain, to recover from compulsive overeating, and to carry this message of recovery to those who still suffer. Our sole purpose, OA's fifth tradition states, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. At a Vision for You Big Book study, our message is that, People who suffer from compulsive overeating can recover through abstinence and the practice of the 12 steps and 12 traditions of Overeaters Anonymous. I will now ask Marge to please read the 12 steps. Good morning. This is Marge, compulsive overeater. The 12 steps. One, we admitted we were powerless over food, that our lives had become unmanageable. Two, came to believe that a power greater than ourselves could restore us to sanity. Three, made a decision to turn our will and our lives over to the care of God as we understood him. Four, made a searching and fearless moral inventory of ourselves. Five, admitted to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. Six, were entirely ready to have God remove all these defects of character. Seven, humbly asked him to remove our shortcomings. Eight, made a list of all persons we had harmed and became willing to make amends to them all. Nine, made direct amends to such people wherever possible, except when to do so would injure them or others. Ten, continued to take personal inventory, and when we were wrong, promptly admitted it. Eleven, sought through prayer and meditation to improve our conscious contact with God as we understand stood him, praying only for knowledge of his will for us, and the power to carry that out. And 12, having had a spiritual awakening as the result of these steps, we tried to carry this message to compulsive overeaters and to practice these principles in all our affairs. Pass. Thank you, Marge. I will now ask Lisa to read the 12 traditions. Good morning, everyone. This is Lisa, Recovered Compulsive Overeater, from South Jersey. The 12 traditions. One, our common welfare should come first. Personal recovery depends upon OA unity. Two, for our group purpose, there is but one ultimate authority, 
a loving God as he may express himself in our group conscience. Our leaders are but trusted servants. They do not govern. Three, the only requirement for OA membership is a desire to stop compulsive overeating. Four, each group should be autonomous, except in matters affecting other groups or OA as a whole. Five, each group has but one primary purpose, to carry its message to the compulsive overeater who still suffers. Six, an OA group ought never endorse, finance, or lend the OA name to any related facility or outside enterprise, lest problems of money, property, and prestige divert us from our primary purpose. Seven, every OA group ought to be fully self-supporting, declining outside contributions. Eight, Overeaters Anonymous should remain forever non-professional, but our service centers may employ special workers. Nine, OA as such ought never be organized, but we may create service boards or committees directly responsible to those they serve. Ten, Overeaters Anonymous has no opinion on outside issues. Hence, the OA name ought never be drawn into public controversy. Eleven, our public relations policy is based on attraction rather than promotion. We need always maintain personal anonymity at the level of press, radio, and films. And twelve, anonymity is the spiritual foundation of all our traditions, ever reminding us to place principles before personalities. Thank you, and I pass. We can Martha? Monica, you need to unmute, please. Can you hear me now? Uh, we can. Thank you. Good. I'm sorry. <laughs> Too many mute buttons. Okay. How our meeting works. Our meeting focuses on the directions for recovery described in the big book of Alcoholics Anonymous. We read a paragraph or two from the literature, then stop and share on what was read. Anyone can share, but we ask that you keep your sharing to the topic and literature we are discussing and that you keep your sharing to approximately three minutes. Singleness of purpose reminds us to identify as compulsive overeaters only. Our abstinence requirement for moderators is one year and for readers is six months. There is no abstinence requirement for sharing on topic. This meeting does request that your sharing be directly linked to what was read. We are sharing what the directions in the big book mean to us. To share, press star one to unmute. And once you're done sharing, let us know by saying pass. Then press star 1 to mute your phone. In order to have a quiet meeting, everyone's phone, except the speakers, should be muted. And today we resume our study of the big book. We're in the chapter, There is a Solution, on page 27, 
the bottom paragraph that begins, Upon Hearing This. And I will ask Sharon to begin reading, please. Thank you, Monica. Good morning to all of you on the line. This is Sharon, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. Upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected that, after all, he was a good church member. This hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Wow. Now you talk about the, the gates slamming shut in your face. I can see the jail cell gates slamming shut in this man's face. To be told that though you had a good spiritual or good, you were a good church member. Now, it doesn't say he was a good spiritual, uh, had a good spiritual relationship, but he was a good church member. He he believed. This, I can relate so much to him in this paragraph because when I came to the rooms, I was actually attracted to the spiritual aspect of the program. I thought, wow, yes, this is a spiritual program. I really gravitate in my in my world, in my life, in my years. I had gravitated toward the spiritual experience. I was attracted to that. And and I had a really deep and strong relationship with my higher power. And yet here I was just like this drunk who was hopeless, hopeless, even though I had this spiritual relationship with this power of the universe, this great and awesome power, I would pray, I would meditate, I would go to uh, spiritual events, I and I was really devoted my life to not being religious, but to being spiritual, yet I was out of control when it came to the food. It was as if other, something other than myself, was pulling me, uh, taking over, eating for me, regardless of what my mind wanted to do. There I would be eating and using food for um, my life. And this it says here, this hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor telling him that while his religious convictions were good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary, vital, spiritual experience. And for me, I felt, how much more vital could it could you need? And we're going to uh, go on and find out what, what that's going to take. What is this vital experience that's beyond believing, that's beyond having a relationship even? There's something more that my higher power wanted me to have before I could get recovery. There was a deeper depth that I had to go to 
spiritually in order for me to get recovery. There was a different place that I had to go to. And that's what the doctor told this man. But the the doctor really had no hope that this man would get it. As in my case, I looked like I was hopeless. People thought that it was over for me because I had tried so many things. People just thought this is the way she was. This is the way she was going to be. And I know that my parents feared for me. They feared that I would not be able to take care of myself, that they were going to have to end up taking care of me because I made myself so ill by eating and eating and eating. And I tell you, I got to the point where I questioned the very faith that I clung to, that I loved so dearly. I questioned that relationship at the by the time I ended up coming into this program and finally getting my recovery. I was from the bottom. I feel like I was at the bottom of the deep blue sea looking up at the life above. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. Would anyone like to comment on this paragraph? This yes, is Judy Penny. B. This is Katie. Judy, Penny E., and then Katie. Go ahead, Judy. Uh, good morning, everyone. This is Judy B., uh, recovered compulsive overeater from uh, Massachusetts. Uh, this paragraph just explains so much to me because uh, I also, when I came into program, was, quote, a good church member and was very attracted to the um, spiritual part of the program. Uh, but that wasn't enough, and I was to be just <clears throat> catapulted into a, a new dimension uh, through program, finding a um, a faith that uh, brought me to, to the place I am now. Um, and that was through program. That was not through... Um, my church affiliation. It was through this spiritual program that um, that we have now. Um, I want to read from page 93, just a short part where it says, <clears throat> faith alone is insufficient. To be vital, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish constructive action. That That is what made the difference for me. It's when I came to the realization that... Um, just having my own relationship with God and, and talking to him and listening to him and letting him guide me was not enough. I needed to be of service to him and to be there for other people. And um, that was the, the vital spiritual experience for me to realize that, um, that I could make a difference and that, um, and that I had to, to sacrifice some of my time, some of my energy. I had to become much more unselfish than I was. Um, Constructive action was necessary, and uh, this program, Following the Steps, teaches us how to do that, and it it brings us to a place where we we absolutely become useful uh, in God's universe, and it's it's a life beyond, beyond our wildest dreams. With that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Judy. Penny, go ahead. Thank you. Good morning, everybody. Penny E. from South Jersey, a recovered compulsive overeater. 
you know, so many times uh, Bill is telling us the same thing. You know, a spiritual experience, a spiritual awakening, it's a must. It's, a vi- it's vital over and over and over again. You know, how, how so many of us missed it, it's beyond me, but here we are today. Here we are today, vital experience. And I'm, I'm just uh, looking at these words. It says, in, um, uh, religious convictions. The hope, however, was destroyed by the doctor telling him that while his religious convictions were good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital experience. So I'm looking at conviction versus experience. Conviction versus experience. Conviction, in my handy-dandy little uh, big book uh, dictionary, is, says belief, a strong per- persuasion or belief. It means I can think this. I can think this all the time. But if I don't actually use the information, it's not going to be a vital spiritual experience. I can believe that your car mechanic is a very good mechanic. He's going to get me in. He's going to get me out. He's going to be fair. I'm going to have no, uh, you know, repercussions, and I won't have to sell the house to pay for it. It's going to be reasonably priced. That's a belief. But if I go and experience those things, it's, a, it's an experience. I need to absolutely experience. And I heard somebody say, and I love this, uh, she said, you know, I can sit in a garage all I want. It's not going to make me a car, you know. And I can go to step meetings and step studies and read step books and talk step, step, steps all I want. It's not going to give me the necessary vital spiritual experience. What I have to do is learn how to use it. How do I use this in my daily life? How are these steps going to, how are they the guide for my life? You know, enough studying. I think the studying is the short end of the stick. It take, doesn't take us very long to study it. What, what takes a lifetime is how to use it in my life every single day. I'm grateful to be here. I'm grateful to be recovered. And uh, have a God-filled day, everybody. Thank you. Thank you, Penny. Katie, go ahead, Katie. Good morning. I'm Katie, a recovered compulsive overeater in Virginia. Um, and I can relate so much to this. I, I was also brought up in a religious um, home, sort of. And um, I would go to, and I was seeking, you know, seeking uh, help from from my religion of my choice. And I remember, you know, in I was in a way and I would go to the um, church services and and, you know, they would ask for if anybody's struggling and I would go up and I would, you know, try to whisper to the to the minister, you know, I'm having this problem with food. And they would look at me like I was you know, crazy because I wasn't obese. At the time, I was, um, had just dieted and lost a lot of weight, but my eating was completely out of control. And I was very young. I was about 23 and not even that old, probably 20, 21. And, um, you know, they couldn't help me because they didn't, they didn't understand what this was about, you know. So that's, why I'm uh, um, the religious convictions were very good. It was good that I was convicted, but that was not enough. I had to surrender to God, and it's the 
using the other recovered people that is what saved me because I need to be honest. I need to be honest with everything that is going on in my life. And, you know, a priest is not going to listen to me every single day talking about the different things that I'm going through. My higher power does. But that's what this, what makes this program different from any other thing out there, is that we keep working this day in and day out, way past the point of losing weight, way past the point of making our amends, way past the point of getting rid of character defects, because we still have to keep living, and we have to keep eating every single day. And... You know, this is not something that we come in and we get all fixed up. You know, um, someone just used the analogy of going to an auto mechanic. You know, yes, we go in and we get our car fixed, but that doesn't, even a car gets broken again. And I don't have to go back to my binging and my out-of-control way of life, but I do have to keep, surrendering to this program on a daily basis because I am only um, given a daily reprieve. And, you know, I couldn't get it by just going to church because I wanted a, I wanted a fix. I wanted an immediate fix, like pulling out cancer and then you never have it again. And that is not what I have today. I have a reprieve. I do not wake up in the morning and think, oh, my gosh, what did I do yesterday that was so out of control? Um, you know, my eating is, you know, a little bit bad again. I mean, I just, I don't live that way. I don't ever have to go back to crazy eating, but I do have things that I have to deal with on a daily basis. And that's where my higher power and the support of this fellowship comes in. With that, I'll pass. Thank you, Katie. And this is Monica, and I'm going to jump in here. So what's going on here? We're in a chapter, There is a Solution. And Roland Hazard here is talking with Dr. Young. In the preceding chapter, Dr. Young told him, after he told him before, that he was hopeless and uh, there was nothing further he could do for him, that he had seen exceptions to the rule, that once in a while somebody had a vital spiritual experience and they were, uh, they changed. They were able to stop drinking. And so Roland thinks, well, hey, I'm a good uh, church mender, you know, I, and so he's, he, he's got a little hope there. But thank God this doctor is so honest with this guy. He goes on to tell him, well, you know, even though your religious convictions were very good, in this case, they did not spell the necessary vital experience. And on page 93, it says, his religious education and training may be far superior to yours. In that case, he's going to wonder how you can add anything to what he already knows. But he will be curious to learn why his own convictions have not worked and why yours seem to work so well. He may be an example of the truth that faith alone is insufficient. And that's what Dr. Young is trying to get across here. To be vital, to be life-sustaining, faith must be accompanied by self-sacrifice and unselfish construction, action, 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 action. 
And then it goes on to say the fact that however deep his faith and knowledge, and a lot of us are there, he could not have applied it or he would not drink. Something was missing. And I experienced this also. Something was missing. And how did I find it? It was by working these steps. Trusting God. Cleaning house with steps four through nine. That I was able to get a connection there. With my higher power. That I never had before. Today I believe that when I ask for hope. When I ask for help. It's a done deal. It's there. But it means, like it's saying here, taking actions. we got to work at this. And with that, I will pass. And would anyone else like to comment on this paragraph? This is Leah. Hello, Monica. Hi, dear Monica. This is Rachel. Sheila. I hear, this is Amy. Oh, 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 I, heard, I heard Leah, Raquel, Amy, and it was somebody else. Leah, Sheila. go ahead. Sheila. All right, Leah, go ahead. Yeah, thank you so much. Good morning, everybody. My name is Leah. I'm a recovered compulsive overeater. It says, this hope, however, was destroyed by the doctors telling him that while his religious convictions were very good, in his case, they did not spell the necessary vital spiritual experience. Again, when the big book uses the word spiritual experience, uh, it's equivalent to spiritual awakening, psychic change, personality change. Ordinary religious faith isn't enough. Plenty of people come here as believers. They've been believers for decades. Uh, They are committed to their religious life. You know, perhaps they uh, have regular visits to their place of worship, uh, regular schedules to their prayer life. Uh, They may be very religiously dedicated. But what the big book is talking about is a transforming experience. It is a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. What is a personality? A personality is made up of the way we think. It's made up of the way we feel, our attitude and outlook upon life. So the same person will eat again. (laughs) Even if you come into these rooms, you crawl into these rooms with tombstones in your eyes and you have great belief in God, but you remain the same, meaning you have the same outlook and the same attitude upon life and the same view upon life, that same person will seek the ease and comfort in bags and boxes. Because character can't be changed by thought alone, and character can't be changed by prayer alone. What these steps do is break us down enough to be rebuilt again the way God intended us to be built again. You know, I came here restless, irritable, and discontent. I came here filled with fear and resentment and anger and very self-centered. And because of those conditions in my mind, that always led me back to compulsive overeating. But the 12 steps through the process, specifically steps four through seven, with the help of a recovered compulsive overeater and these pages with clear-cut directions, allowed me to examine my thinking, and to rearrange. We just talked about that in the middle of page 27. Leah, press star one. Thank you. 
Uh, we're talking about huge emotional displacements and rearrangements that are possible due to the implementation of the steps, specifically steps four through seven, where, uh, which allowed me to examine my attitudes, examine my outlook, examine my ideas upon life, and to make a change in those ideas and attitudes and views upon life. Because, again, I had to grow away from the food, grow away from the necessity to pick up that first bite. And that's exactly what the steps accomplish. It has to be a transforming experience, a transforming experience. And that is the secret of the 12 steps is that it is possible to be able to effectuate such a dramatic change in personality and character and values. And that way I no longer need, I no longer need to seek the comfort and the ease in those bags and boxes because I have established a relationship. I mean, a quick analogy is, let's say you visit a gorgeous place, you know, a gorgeous place and you have majestic, win majestic uh, mountains outside your window, but the window is so filthy that even though you believe and you know that there's a mountain outside that window that God created and that is majestic and extraordinary, but because the window is so dirty, you cannot f see all its, its uh, fine detail. You cannot feel the beauty. You can't see it. You can't appreciate it because of the filth on the window. What the program of recovery is remove those barriers by breaking down the fear, taking away the resentments, breaking down the anger, you get a greater impact from your God. <laughs> so that the belief of God and the, and the knowledge and the understanding that there is a God that exists and creates everything in this universe can really make an impact on your mind and your heart and your soul. Because the barriers have been removed. How do you remove those barriers? Through the process of the steps. Believing is not enough. Thinking is not enough. Praying is not enough. It's got to be a transforming experience. How do you get that transformation? It's right here, <laughs> right in front of you on these pages. And with that, I pass. Thanks. Thank you, Leah. Raquel, go ahead. Star one to unmute, Raquel. Okay, let's go ahead with Amy. Amy, are you there? I'm here. Good morning. Uh -oh. My name is Amy, a compulsive overreader from Maryland. Hello. Can you hear me? I somehow was cut off. Okay, go ahead, Raquel, and then Amy, I'll come back to you. Thank you, Amy. Okay. So I don't know how we can uh, relate to this without going uh, looking at uh, the correspondence between uh, Dr. Bill W. and Dr. Young where he really um, says why he could not even tell Roland Hazard all the truth about this religious experience because um, um, it would not be accepted in those days to speak of religion the way that he needed to speak, and he was so happy to hear that uh, Roland found his place. Um, this, this, this sentence that he says, it's in the, in the language of the heart, his craving for alcohol was the equivalent on a low level of the spiritual thirst of our being for wholeness, expressed in medieval language, the union with God. 
How could one formulate such an insight in a language that is not misunderstood in our days? Our days, we're talking about 1932 or, or later when he's writing this letter. And then he's quoting from the Bible. It's like the, the, the dough, uh, the deer is, is thirsting, the heart is thirsting for, for, for God and for that reunion. So as a Bible teacher that I was in the States for 26 years teaching Bible and prayer, it helped me nothing until I came to the point that I've been trampled by the disease badly enough, angered badly enough, had that experience of yearning God. And uh, it's very different from knowledge. It is so very different from knowledge. And I can say now, to celebrate with all of you, that it's four and a half years, and I can't yet call myself the public because I see other places that are coming up. But I can say that it's a whole different life. Uh, and now, June 12th was the, the half a year, four, years, four and a half years um, that things have changed in my life. And it could not happen without that. Um, that deep experience that there's nowhere else to go. And I don't have any more, no third door to choose, only this, recovery or, or, or disease. I, I, I am, I'm, I'm very moved to read this part in the book um, that, that connects the, the belief I had all my life, the belief in, in, in a God universal and, and national and everything you want. But that is connected it with me personally. I knew that he would show up if I need to cross the Red Sea. Uh, Thank you, Raquel. Raquel, I'm having difficulty hearing you. Thank you very, very much for sharing. Oh, I'm sorry. Sorry. Okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye bye. Bye. Amy, go ahead. Good morning. My name is Amy. I'm a recovered compulsive reader from Maryland. Well, as many have said, this experience, this spiritual experience is absolutely vital. It is a personality change sufficient to bring about recovery. And at its core, I mean, that spiritual transformation that others have talked about, yes, it comes through the process of working the steps. And at its core is the surrender of self. You know, we read about it in Bill's story. You know, I was not the great church member or anything. I came into the program fully agnostic. I was one of the ones like Bill who were scales of pride and prejudice needed to fall from my eyes. I needed to humbly offer myself to a higher power. I needed to understand that because of my disease and what I had done, that I had placed myself beyond human aid and that I needed help. I needed a higher power. And if it was you all in the program who had recovered and gone before because I couldn't see myself far enough to think of a God, then that would be it. It would be the 12 steps. It would be whatever it was as long as it wasn't me. I had to surrender myself, my ego, my pride, thinking that I could find another way to do this. I mean, if you read the beginning of the paragraph, I can just see him exhaling, going, upon hearing this, our friend was somewhat relieved, for he reflected, after all, that he was a good church member. I could just see the way he was thinking, going, oh, oh, I got this. I'm a good church member. I can do this. I, I, I. 
Well, remember and how it works. You know, at some of these steps we balked. We thought we could find an easier, softer way. The result was nil until we let go absolutely. We stand at the turning point. You know, the transformative process may take some time before we really come to a solid foundation and a belief and, a, and, and that type of growth or spiritual experience or awakening, as they say. But at the core, I need to surrender that I am not it that I am not that higher power, that I have to be willing to believe and take action only on that willingness. You know, it says, again, in Bill's story on page 13, I humbly offered myself to God as I then understood him, as I then understood him to do with me as he would. I placed myself unreservedly under his care and direction. I admitted for the first time that of myself I was nothing, that without him I was lost. I ruthlessly faced my sins and became willing to have my newfound friend take them away, root and branch. I have not had a drink since. So it's about the surrender of myself. I have to say that of myself, I cannot recover from this disease. I need a higher power. I need a God that is more powerful than this disease. And then become willing. Faith without works is dead. I had to be able to pray to God, as they say, and row to shore working these 12 steps. And as the transformative process occurred throughout the working the steps, I, I built on that foundation. I grew on my belief, but I had to surrender first. For me, that vital spiritual experience came when I said, I'm not going to be the self-centered person. I'm not going to be the one that makes the decisions. I'm going to be held accountable. I'm going to work this program like my life depends upon it. And I'm going to trust with those who have gone before to show me the way, that have a stronger belief than I, that have a stronger recovery, that are recovered, I'm going to believe they will show me the way. And then the process begins. And with that, I'll I'll pass. Thank you, Amy. Sheila, go ahead, Sheila. Hi, this is Sheila, compulsive overeater. I have to say the first time I walked into a 12-step room, it was they were on the second step, came to believe that a power. And I stuck around because I figured if God is in this place and there might be an answer for me. And spent a lot of time trying to make a decision of how I can, at that time for that program, how I can fix and help other people. Um, learned all along that um, I had to focus on myself. Eventually I did give it. But what kept me going and what keeps me going today is that I've always been seeking for something greater. Ever since I was a child, I just would go to my different churches, my friends' churches, because I grew up Catholic, and my church wasn't like some of my friends' churches. It was a different kind of religion in their churches. You do a lot of physical activity, a lot of hallelujahs and jumping up and down, and I'm thinking this is different from the church of my God where I go to because always from as long as I can remember seeking something. But to get to the point briefly, I was always and still is a very much a praying person, constantly always praying. And with the twelve steps that I've worked that I've done, it's for me to keep praying. As long as I pray I have hope. Praying and hope is fine. But I got to the point also that you have to do the step work. The step work is looking into me where I don't necessarily want to see me. I didn't want to see my part in it. I didn't want to see how I was holding people in situations accountable for whatever. You know, it was that was a challenge for me. But the more I focused on prayer and doing step work, the more the intimate relationship I had with myself 
to get from that is the more intimate relationship I had with myself, the more profound my relationship with my with my higher power grew. You know, I know for today that that self-seeking that I spent many, 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 many years looking for was already in me. It wasn't in a brick-and-mortar building. It wasn't in a pastor, a priest, or a minister. It was in the God of my decision, a God of my understanding that walks with me each and every day. And with that, I'll pass. Thank you. Thank you, Sheila. Would anyone else care to comment on this paragraph before we move on? It's Irini. Irini, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. Thank you so much. Good morning, my spiritual brothers and sisters. My name is Irini, and I am a very grateful, recovered, compulsive overeater. Thank you, God. This really, really resonates with me because I, too, was very much a church member. As young as I can remember, every Sunday I would get dressed up and go to church with my whole family. And my mother was a lady of prayer. In her room, she would kneel in front of her icons, and she would pray daily. So I was exposed to that. And I even taught Sunday school. So I had God in my life, and what a gift that was. So why was I still in bondage of self? Why was I a prisoner of my thoughts? Even though I carried this present around with me, I never unwrapped it. I never unwrapped the bow. I never opened up the box. And I never used the gift. I just carried it with me. I didn't know how to use it. Somebody had to show me how to use this gift. And it was through the guidance of the steps to use the gift. And I needed a connection with this gift. My problem was me, myself, and I. I was just being human. That was my problem. But what I needed was I needed to connect with this gift that I was carrying, that we all have. It's that personal connection. I was totally disconnected until somebody taught me how to connect myself with this precious gift that I was holding all those years. And and I was able, and seeing life through human eyes, I needed to see life through spiritual eyes that came from a spirit-guided heart and mind. And this is done by taking the steps and reaching the goal to have a spiritual awakening. And then, oh my gosh, I was awakened. Wow! From human eyes to spiritual eyes. This is the spiritual awakening. This is the transformation. A different me. Different thoughts, different words, different actions. I thank you and I pass. Thank you, Irini. And let's move on to the next paragraph. And Kim, could you read, please? Thanks, Monica. Here was the terrible dilemma in which our friend found himself when he had the extraordinary experience, which, as we have already told you, made him a free man. We, in turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of a drowning man. What seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us. 
or if you prefer, a design for living that really works. Good morning, my fellows. My name is Kim G, and I'm a recovered compulsive overeater from South Jersey. This line jumps out. We, in turn, we sought the same escape with all the desperation of a drowning man. That is the posture of step one. That's the posture we need to be in in order to move forward in this program. Because unless we're desperate enough, we are not going to apply these steps with the veracity that we need to. You know, if someone is really drowning, if someone knows that they are going to die, and there's someone on the shoreline, and they throw them a life jacket, they're going to grab that life jacket with all the desperation that they have. Yet many of us felt in LA, we're drowning, we're drowning, and there is a recovered people. This vision for you meeting, for example, is throwing out this life jacket, and we grab hold on it, and we look at it, and we're like, oh, do you have a pink life jacket? I really think I'd rather have a pink life jacket. And then maybe even if that person throws you out a pink life jacket, you might say, huh, I really like baby pink. I don't like this electric color pink. That's what we do. We, we are desperate, yet we think we could do it differently. When we are truly in this posture of step one, and that posture, I like the description of, oh, crap, I'm screwed. Oh, crap, I'm screwed. When we're in that posture, and we know we are truly powerless, we are going to seek a power. We are going to seek a power with the desperation of a drowning man. And what does that look like? Think about the way you pursued your binge foods. If you were out of your binge foods 2 o'clock in the morning and there was a hurricane going on outside, many of us would put on our fuzzy slippers and still go out there to get that binge food. I remember my mother who's in OA, one of her staples in her food plan, she found out it was going to be discontinued. My mother does not know how to use a computer. And yet she grabbed my younger brother. She got on the computer. They searched for the corporation. They contacted the corporation. She called them multiple times. She let them know she needed this food. And she wound up getting carts and carts delivered to our house before the discontinuation started. That is determination. That is how we, pr- we pursue the food. We need to pursue recovery with that same desperation of that drowning man. And when it says what at first seemed a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving, powerful hand of God, that flimsy reed is step two. All we're admitting at this point, when we know there's a solution, is we need that solution. We are powerless, therefore we need power. How is it proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God? That is proven by working the steps. Step two is acknowledging we need that power. By doing steps 3 through 10, we get to step 11. And step 11 is that conscious contact. So right now, the posture is we are going to die. We are going to grab that life jacket, not caring what color it is, not caring what form it is, because we know without that life jacket, we are going to die. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Kim. Would anyone else like to comment on what was just read? Leanne. Rose, Sharon. Oh. Leanne, Rose, and Sharon. Go ahead, Leanne. Hi, Leanne from Florida, um, recovering compulsive overeater. And um, this reminds me of um, the fact that I really was desperate and I really did seek my entire life. 
everything that came along I would grab onto. And one of the last things I grabbed onto was a church program that um, that said, um, if you have enough of God inside you, then you won't eat. And um, the philosophy of that was to wait till you have a growl in your stomach and and ask God, you know, to guide your eating. And I tried that for a good 10 years. And um, because I was raised in church and I did have one of those experiences where, um, you know, I thought, wow, I'm I'm born again now and I'm just, you know, I'm really going to get this. Um, I was, uh, again, still seeking and I went to a, a person in church who was a counselor and her way of counseling was you just sit there and you listen. You listen for what God tells you, the impression that he gives you. And at this time, I had been in uh, a type of OA that um, didn't help me at all. I had been in for about 12, maybe 13 years at this time. And I was just going because that's all I knew to do, you know, along with all these other seeking things I was doing. And I just remember going to this person maybe about three or four times, and every time I sat quietly, um, it um, the impression I got was to go to go back to OA, you know, go back to OA was all I could think of at the time. And I mean, that's all the impression that, that came, that came to me at the time. And when I did finally listen to that voice, I was um, brought into a similar type of meeting that we're, that we are on right now. And it was my time. It was finally my time to um, grab hold of the life vest. I was finally, there was finally enough willingness there and um, I've been up and down and all around for so many years. And this time, you know, I got in touch with somebody who said that my food and my weight were none of my business, and they meant business about the big book. And that's when my recovery began. And I'm grateful for that person who just sat there. She didn't counsel me. We just sat there in quietness. And that's the impression that I got, you know, from God. So just wanted to share that. I passed. Thank you, Leanne. Rose, go ahead. Thank you, Monica. This is Rose, a uh, grateful, recovered, compulsive reader in New York. Um, <clears throat> the second paragraph there, we, in our turn, sought the same escape with all the desperation of drowning men. When I was being brought through the big book, my sponsor had me write, this is my turn to experience life the way God intended being brought through the big book as the steps are laid out in this textbook was my turn to experience life the way God intended. And this was last year when I was doing it. And the next sentence, what seemed at first a flimsy read has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. A new life has been given us, and it has been given to me, or if you prefer, a design for living, the 12 steps, that really works. And all I want to say is, this is what has happened to me, and I thank you, God, for it. Pass. Thank you, Rose. Sharon, go ahead, please. Good morning, Monica. This is Sharon from Minnesota, again here. 
it says here, what seemed at first a flimsy reed has proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. And throughout this book, we are told about what we did, the first 100, we. And when we looked at the paragraphs that first we read this morning, it talked about his individual religion, his uh, situation, our friend, what happened to him, and all of the things that he did to recover. And we've talked about our personal religious experiences and spiritual experiences trying to get recovery. And then we find that throughout this book, it talks about we. We, in our turn, sought. We had became desperate. We. And then we find out that, um, and it, it says um, throughout the book that, yeah, here on page 52, we were having trouble with personal relationships. In the 12 and 12, again, everywhere, it tells us that our basic problem was, one of our basic problems was in our relationships, our ability to come together. What I have realized in my life is I could, I could have all of the components. I had the components. I was in the rooms for 10 years, in the OA rooms for 10 years. I had religious experiences. I had a relationship with God. I um, did some of the same things uh, with my food program that I'm doing now. Now I'm recovered. But I did that before. What's the difference? The flimsy read and that I finally grabbed hold of. And I believe that for me, my higher power held back, if you will, not in a mean way, but held back. My recovery would not come to me until I accepted the hand of the fellow that reached out to me, until I became a part of a fellowship of of recovering compulsive overeaters. I could not do this in isolation. I strongly believe that for me, my God allowed all the pieces to come together for me when I stopped trying to do it on my own. The flimsy read for me was grabbing hold of your hand, of becoming a part of, coming out of isolation, picking up the phone, reaching out to my fellows, reaching out. And, and, and for me, it was service, but it was also that level of surrender, that surrender um, to that, what was given to me through a fellow that said to me, I'll sponsor you. I'll take you on because I felt like I was a hopeless case and I actually had uh, a sponsor tell me, you're just too much for me. Your case is just too tough for me to deal with. But another one stepped up and said, I'll work with you. And all I did was do what she told me to do. I did it because of my surrender to my higher power 
because this flimsy reed, which was the hand of my fellow, did not look like the power of God. But I knew I had tried everything else. I knew that my God loved me and cared for me and that there, if this was being reached out to me, I would try. Now, let me say that it didn't come easy that I got to that point. But I was desperate. And I had to believe that that little glimmer of light that came to me with that hand reaching out to me, that that was my God. That I had that much faith. It wasn't much. It was just a tiny bit. But I saw that it had happened for others. And I knew that if it happened for them, maybe, just maybe, I could get it too. If I did what they did, maybe I could get it too. And at the time, maybe I didn't know it was my God. But I had that much faith. And I reached out. And now, in retrospect, I realized that God wanted me to, I could not get this in by myself, not in isolation, because that was part of my disease, was to isolate. It was me and God. And that did not get me recovery. It had to be we. It had to be me and you. It had to be us. And when it became we, when it became us, that first 100, uh, Bob and Bill, we together, and not just Bob and Bill, it can't, not just the sponsor and the sponsee, because I had that. It had to be us more reaching out beyond myself to help other people, to get help from other people. And that is part of my spiritual experience. My recovery began the day it was no longer me. And with that, I pass. Thank you, Sharon. And this is Monica, and I'd like to jump in here real quick. At what seemed at first a flimsy read. And what's flimsy? Thin, weak. Doesn't seem very strong, huh? A reed. What is a reed? It's a strong, hollow grass. That doesn't sound like anything very strong. It's going to, you know, help me when I'm drowning. But it is. It's stronger than it looks. And you don't have to understand it. You don't have to try to figure it out. If you're desperate, you grab hold and work these steps. And it's proved to be the loving and powerful hand of God. You know, what I did didn't work. But they said here they had a solution. I thought, okay, I'll give it a try. What can I lose? And what did I get? A new life has been given us, or if you prefer, a design for a living that really works. You know, as a result of doing the steps, step 12, a spiritual awakening, recovery, recovery from a seemingly hopeless state of mind and body. So reach out for that flimsy read, however weak and whatever it might seem to you and work these steps take action and you will find it is so much more um, powerful than you ever believed and with that we have run out of time this morning and i would like to thank you 
to everyone who has shared. We will now close with the reading from the Big Book on page 164, followed by the Serenity Prayer. And Sally, would you read page 164, please? I'm here, Monica. Can you hear me? Yes, I can. Sorry, I wasn't prepared for that. Our book is meant to be suggestive only. We realize we know only a little. God will constantly disclose more to you and to us. Ask him in your morning meditation what you can do each day for the man who is still sick. The answers will come if your own house is in order. But obviously, you cannot transmit something you haven't got. See to it that your relationship with him is right, and great events will come to pass for you and countless others. This is the great fact for us. Abandon yourself to God as you understand him. Admit your faults to him and to your fellows. Clear away the wreckage of your past. Give freely of what you find and join us. We shall be with you in the fellowship of the Spirit and you will surely meet some of us as you trudge the road of happy destiny. May God bless you and keep you until then. I pass.